0: Today is August 22nd. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki, nagana go, is chase komaki. My name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet, and north of the border are the Siksika, Gunai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed September 22, 1877, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakota of the Wesley Chiniki Bears Pond Nations, and the Dene from the Sutina Nation. We acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. I honour the Blackfoot as the elders, and the members have been so kind to me on my Red Road journey. Uh, Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name. I was born here in Calgary, or in Blackfoot, Malkinstas, um as Michelle Elliot, another English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene, or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yellowknives Dene. My father is so Canadian, I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution, while having an Indian act and Post status card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that I was born here in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Dene lineage roots me, roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people, in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island, And my Dene Nation is a visitor to this area of Klincho Tine Indahay in Satu Dene, meaning Many Horse Town, named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous, as well as honouring the host as the guest and honouring my role as a treaty partner. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I, under, I encourage questions so that any misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I don't speak on behalf of all Indigenous. I just share my uh, journey down the red road. If you're experiencing emotional distress after hearing anything i talk about today and want to talk, there's the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's toll-free, open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And for non-Indigenous, there are distress centre lines in your area as well. My Patreon account is NativeCalgarian, where you can pledge in support. I want to say thank you to previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you to those that cannot afford to give but love to listen in. I'd like to hear from you. NativeYYC at gmail.com. Send in your comments or questions. I now have a YouTube channel. I'd love for you to subscribe. For podcasts, we're on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And I want to give a shout out to my super loyal donors Adam, Alexandria, Beatrice, Ben, Beth, Brian, Kat, Celine, Christina, Crystal, Diana, Jana, Jenny, Jocelyn, Judy, Karen, Kathy, Kenna, Leah, Lee, uh, sorry, Lisa, Marisa, Melissa, Morami, Natalie, Nathan, Rebecca, The Sprawl. Shara, Sharon, Tammy, Tiffany, Vanessa, and Veronica. So with that, I want, I'm so excited to have today a, a friend of mine that I've been so lucky to get to know, uh, Vanessa Ortez. She's she and her pronouns. And you know, I'd love to have you introduce yourself in your way.
1: Hi, Michelle. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so honored to be here. Uh, Well, my name is Vanessa Ortiz. My pronouns are she, her. I am originally from the uh, territories of the Coahuilteca Nations in what we now know as northern Mexico. And I immigrated to Canada around four and a half years ago. Um, I'm a mom. I am also an educator. Um, And yeah, so we've been doing some work here around anti-racism, migrant justice, and, um, yeah, I'm so honored to be here. Thank you, Michelle.
0: Oh, thank you. There's always so much going on, and I feel like sometimes we can just never kind of get into all of it. So, um, you know, we, you and I, uh, we've met through the book club, and we, we've talked about Indigenous issues, not just happening here in Calgary, in Canada, but globally, because I talk about the United Nations Declaration on Rights of Indigenous People, and for some reason, that seems to be such a difficult concept for uh, non-Indigenous to understand that it's bigger than just, um, you know, locally. It's everywhere. And and the irony being that Calgary is, especially has so many companies that, you know, exploit globally. And we talk about missing and murdered Indigenous women here, which is 100% a problem. But it's also 100% a problem globally because of the uh, land resource um development that happens globally with companies that come straight out of calgary
1: totally yeah and um you know coming from mexico mexico has that like, the majority of the mining that goes on in mexico it's it's definitely canadian and and all this um migration that people don't seem to understand it's actually displacement from uh neo neoliberal, liberalist um extractivist companies that pay no taxes that, that pollute our communities that you know displace men and women children and and then we see these this huge caravans of migrants and we're wondering where they're coming from well that's one of the that's one of the sources of immigration right like there's there's a reason there's a main reason for for immigration it's nobody wants to leave their home Right, like nobody wants to uh, leave family away, culture, language, um, our communities. Right, it's it's survival. So when when I came to Canada and I started, you know, seeing all the development and you know, uh, like you know, public services and everything's so organized, <laughs> and I'm wondering, wow, like this is this is extremely well organized and. Uh, sometimes it's difficult to understand why other nations, other countries cannot be as organized or as rich. And, and the answer is, well, those um, nations, those countries, those communities have been impoverished for the longest time, right, since colonization. And, you know, Canada has been as well. Uh, Canada is it's built on stolen indigenous land, on, on indigenous genocide, and also our countries, like all of our countries are all of our territories are. And, um, so yeah, it's, uh, I I came to that realization once I was here and like, well, you know, you read about it, you, you, you learn about it through your books, through your readings, but when, once you see it and once you, you face the reality that, um, we are, we are a flight away from this possession and from, you know, everyday, suffering of, um, of, you know, Central American nations and, um, indigenous communities in Mexico as well, particularly in the South. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's a very sad reality and, and that's what we are fighting to change. Mm
0: -hmm. No, and I'm grateful to have this conversation with you because, um, now most people know I'm a liberal and uh, why am I a liberal? Because I'm in Calgary, and they're the only group that might possibly defeat um, a conservative. But by no stretch do I, you know, deny what neoliberalism does here, nationally, um, and as well as globally. And it's not okay. It's never been okay. And this is the system that somebody imposed. And, you know, I I still can't believe people fell for the mortgage system. Uh, you know, you know, here's a plot of land. And you're going to pay compound interest in order to live here. And uh, it, it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever, uh, you know, I remember being in grade 11 and yelling at my math teacher. I'm like, who would institute this? Who thinks this is a good idea? How come nobody else gets to have compound interest except the bank? And yet everybody's okay with it. They just live with it. And and I don't know how they do. I don't know how they do knowing you know, Indigenous children are being apprehended so that people can happily live here. I don't know how they do it knowing Indigenous women are just dying. Um, I don't know how they do it knowing Indigenous people are overrepresented in the population in the prison system. And then, you know, really just okay with the death and destruction of Indigenous lands elsewhere. Like, I don't know how people sleep with that. And Uh, Really what you and I were going to start talking about were a lot of things that were happening in Venezuela and Bolivia. And um, I'm just going to tell my viewers this because this is actually really funny to me. But never in the history of any of my guests have I gotten such a great, this is what I want to talk about, like, you know, Word document going over it. And I'm like, I don't even have to research this. She did all of this. Let's talk about it. So, you know, like I, I have in front of us and I thought we'd start with uh, Bolivia and work our way down to make sure we get it all because it's a lot to, to talk about.
1: Yeah, totally. So I would like to start talking a little bit about like giving a little bit of, of context on who Evo Morales is. Sure. Like, like Evo Morales was the uh, democratically elect president of Bolivia for for 13 years right so which sounds like a long time but when you compare it with like you know Angela Merkel or uh (laughs) you know you compare it with other um mandatories in the world it's it's really not that long um so but that's that's really not the point like really the point is that he was the first indigenous uh president in Bolivia and he was the second indigenous president in the history of Latin America. The first indigenous president in, in the history of Latin America was actually a Mexican president. His name was Benito Juarez. And, and this is a man who um, separated church from state. So he's, he's, he's huge in our history. We celebrate him every year. Um, but definitely, I mean, as much as is mentioned in speeches, political speeches, and 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 everything that's that's around that celebration, it's definitely, you know, whitewashed a little bit, like, um, I mean, we say and we mentioned that he was an indigenous president, but we never go very deep on, you know, the racism and discrimination that he faced, because this was back in the 1800s, right? So, you know, the official parties, the official political parties have whitewashed that story, um, that history a little bit. And and the second one was Evo Morales, uh, he was an indigenous leader. He is an indigenous leader. He was a cocalero, which means he was in the uh, coca in the coca fields. Uh, he was a union man and and he was voted in um, with uh, a party called mass right um, and you know the bolivian uh the bolivian state and the bolivian people experienced a radical change when he when he took office um, uh, Evo Morales, he's Aymara. Aymara is one of the one of the main um, indigenous groups, Indigenous nations in in Bolivia. He started as a union man and then he started like being the leader of of this political party. Um and then he he got voted in. Um he 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 got many, many you know, lots of support from the Bolivian people because he was uh, one of them. He was an indigenous indigenous person. He is an indigenous person. And Bolivia, uh, around 60% of the population in Bolivia identifies as indigenous, right? So uh, he was the symbol of, you know, the resurgence of indigenous indigenous rebellion, indigenous uh, rights. Uh, and he did many, many things for for Bolivia. And one of the main things he did was passing an anti-racist law. Like now, it's penalized in Bolivia to 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 be racist. I mean, in in you know, and as an as institutions and as you know, uh, public servants, which is something really. You know, we have diversity laws and we have you know multicultural laws, but he went right there and said. This is going to be an anti-racism law, so that was something that uh, got protested by many sectors of society, including uh, press, including the press, who was obviously supported by right-wing, by right-wing uh, politicians and corporations that that had been benefiting from the racist policies in Bolivia for such a long time. So when he goes in there and he and he. You know, overtly goes and says, I'm an indigenous person and we are going to declare Bolivia to be a plurinational state, which means that 36 languages are going to be official languages, (laughs) right? Uh, Every nation has the right to, um, you know, self government to their lands. We are going to nationalize hydrocarbons, we are going to nationalize energy, uh, mining, you know, electricity oil uh there's lots of uh gold in bolivia as well, so that was nationalized as well and foreign companies were asked to leave so obviously he he always posed you know an obstacle for neoliberal extractivist uh, um companies right he was always this obstacle and 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 there was like this Um, uh, This constant reminder to him that he was an indigenous person and that he didn't deserve or he didn't have what it take to be to be a president. Right. So obviously, when we talk about, you know, the coup against his government, we are talking about a racist colonial um, coup. Right. There's there's no way of denying that there is a racist component to Uh, to this school that uh, the Canadian government sadly, unfortunately supported immediately right after.
0: Yeah, no, we were one of the first ones to support it.
1: Exactly. Yeah, and that was a very sad moment for me being here because, you know, you are like, you know, the uh, the image, like the uh, foreign image of Canada. It's always of, you know, neutrality and always of like respecting human rights and... You know that, that's the idea that, that, that many people have outside, and and of course it is. I mean, there's there. I mean, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't like that. We we honor, um, we I mean, we really are grateful for everything here. But if, when we critically analyze, uh, its foreign policy, it's it is very problematic, right? It is very problematic, and and we have to to point it to point it out, right? Not
0: just pointed out, but for God's sakes, I mean, my neighbors, my bosses, my, like the folks that live here, on one hand, they're sweet, kind people who go to church every Sunday and, you know, do what they think is good community work. But then they don't understand that their, you know, Monday through Friday, eight till five job is literally at the expense of killing other people and um even for me like drafting wells and pipelines i had no idea it was about land displacement i had no idea um no concept of it and mm-hmm. so you know i i really want to talk about these things because there there needs to be this you know connection and uh, right now i think we see a lot of canadians really you know trying to fight the wetsuwetin um on their lands on the ente where it comes to you know fighting the idea that uh, resource extraction is somehow related to, you know, MMIW when it's so painfully clear and obvious. Here we have this mother and her sisters and their kids living on the pipeline route saying you cannot go here. RCMP with full guns blazing having no problem taking a butt of a rifle to somebody's face, Zero problem, you know, and then to the cheers of average Canadians because their jobs somehow matter more than the lives of Indigenous people. Now take that and times it into another country, you know, and, and again, the you know, colonizers here just p- applaud because they get to somehow benefit. They think they're benefiting. But the irony is, and COVID showed it, they're only a paycheck or two away before, you know, they... They're as broke as anybody else. Exactly. So, like the the system is so rigged, and it's right painfully in front of people, and they just don't get it. So, I don't mean to interrupt you. I'd love for you to continue.
1: Yeah, totally, totally. And and you know, when it's it's always you know important to see outside of of. It's always good to analyze the inside politics and the like within the foreign policy, like to the interior. Like Canada, obviously has. A colonial, uh, you know, doctrine, and to the outside is, it's, um, it's blatant imperialism, and, it, and it's always been, and, you know, it's maybe because it's ties to the U.S., or it's ties to our Great Britain, or it can be, there can be many factors around it, but the reality is that um, the U.S., with the um, Monroe Doctrine, Um, you know, did whatever, they they did whatever they wanted with Latin America, and they did it for so long. And in basically every single country, and every single country in Latin America, uh, the US has, you know, has destabilized their, their, Democratically elected governments, in in some way, shape, or form, whether it is like through the, through a military uh, coup, through a military intervention, such as Chile when they supported the, you know, in in uh, for to Salvador Allende. So whenever there is like an effort to um, decolonize government, whenever there is an effort to democratize our governments and to have people heard. Uh, the the US suddenly decides that we need democracy <laughs> and that we need help that we that we need their help, right? Um this is a constant and this this has always happened. So unfortunately Canada due to its you know geographical position and its ties, um it's 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 been an accomplice, right? Uh, with the, they've, I mean, the U.S. has been in Guatemala in 1954, in El Salvador in 1980 with Reagan, in Panama, and I mean, both times, like with with Johnson and then with Bush, uh, in Colombia with Clinton, uh, and then in Colombia again in 2009 with Obama. Uh, it's there's really like there's really no country in Latin America that hasn't suffered from intermission or like an intervention from the US, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, Haiti, Cuba, Honduras, Nicaragua, every single country is gonna have its history of, oh, you know, this is what the US did to us, <laughs> right? And uh, obviously, when you have the control of media and when you have the control of the narrative, of course, that's that's not what, you know, Canadian or American, you know, US newspapers or websites are gonna say and, and there's like a gap in information from our experiences as, as, you know, Latin American countries to what Canadians read. So I, I really feel that's very important to dig into this, uh, to, you know, dismantle this narrative of, you know, the U S being, um, a savior of the world. And, you know, Canada has always been right behind the U S and it's, and it's understandable because there are, you know, there are economical interests in those, in those areas. Uh, Latin America is extremely rich in resources. It's extremely rich in, in human capital, if you want to call it like the neoliberal term. Um, So cheap labor, you know, in the, in the form, in the shape of uh, sweatshops, of maquiladoras, um, and in the shape of, you know, exploitation here in Canada, the, um, you know, the, um, import of workers of like impoverished nations, you know, Philippines, Mexico, um, Jamaica, you call it any, any, any place in the world, uh, that it's importing that they are the Canada, it's importing workers to pay the minimum wage for working 12 hours a day. And, and those are all things that are not, in the common knowledge of, of, of a Canadian, right? So sometimes it's important to get out of our comfort zone and analyze where, what, where everything we consume is coming from, whether it is food, where, whether it's energy, if it's minerals, right? And I don't know if you remember, um, Michelle, the tweet of Elon Musk, is that how you pronounce it? I'm not sure. This, uh, super rich guy who is the owner of Tesla. So he tweeted something about the coup and, uh, he, he tweeted something and then someone replied like, yeah, but you, you supported the coup in Bolivia for the lithium because there are lots of reserves of lithium in Bolivia. And, uh, you know, analysts, um, analysts think that that was a reason of, of the coup. And he replied, we will coup whoever we want to get over it. Right. So it's that. Actually,
0: I uh, hear that I didn't see that and I'm like what yeah what a
1: holy yeah shit. <laughs> and this is the hero for so many people right because he's rich and white and I don't know whatever like tech savvy or whatever um yeah well if I had like you know, this is the <laughs> irony like
0: there's that idea of of privilege where you know, he doesn't have the oppression of of what you're dealing with, what I'm dealing with. So yeah, it's really easy to go to school and get all the things done when you're in that situation. I, I get so angry at that, you know, folks are, oh, well, they worked really hard to get there. I'm like, really? Because this guy came on stolen land and this guy's from stolen land. And we just went from Britain over to the US and it's the same type of colonialism and here in Canada we're the first ones to back Israel every time at the expense of Palestinians every freaking time because they don't really want to back what to win and they don't really want to you know address the 231 calls to justice when it comes to the amount of indigenous people that are being murdered across Canada and everybody's cool with it and I'm going to mention that it's right off the heels off of a 14 year old girl who was kidnapped by, like, a, I don't know, old man, freaking over 40 man, and they wouldn't even, you know, release an an Amber uh, alert as if this is somehow okay. I guarantee if there was a 40-something-year-old Native man who, you know, took a white little 14-year-old girl, there would have been, like some dead guy not some guy arrested just recently like this i can't even believe we're having this conversation but that is the racism that's so institutional here and of course if it's institutionalized racism here it's no problem globally and you know you we were gonna talk a little bit about um getting rid of the indigenous unity unity flag i mean we're we're in the lands of where you know our premier doesn't want to do land acknowledgements we're in the you know, place where Canada is not going to acknowledge what Sutuwin land, even though their own stupid Canadian court law, with um, uh, Delamook, that proved that it's indigenous land, and yet, nope, we're just going to still keep going ahead with it, and we're going to pay a bunch of pipeline protesters to go and harass indigenous women, and everybody is a okay with that. And in fact, not just okay. they're going to watch NHL and going to enjoy all of the luxuries that the NHL players are getting, while the rest of us, like we can't even collect serve anymore.
1: Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, and definitely that was one one of the components in the uh, Bolivia coup that was so blatantly racist, so blatantly colonial, Uh, so basically like the factual powers, um, you know, neoliberal powers and, um, corporation powers, uh, selected this woman to, to be the new president, right? Because they claimed that Evo Morales had, um, he had, there there had been a fraud in the election, although he had 10 points, um, 10 points more than, than the other party, right? But they, they, they claimed that it was a, that it was a fraud and it was later, uh, dismantled this idea of a fraud, they later had to recognize that it was not that it was a democratic election, but anyways they they they, they chose this woman uh, whose last name is Agnes uh, she 's an evangelist, so these are this is a religion that has a lot of power in Latin America, and it 's the new like it used to be Catholicism the way the way the population was controlled and the media was controlled but it 's now evangelists really who are using religion to continue to, uh, dis- continue to um, you know, displace the communities and, you know, rip them from their culture and their language and convince them that, you know, their original uh, traditional sacred languages are wrong and that are, you know, uh, evil and all these ideas that have existed since colonization Like we you know them really well, right? So this woman, she's an evangelist, uh she's 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 her last name is Agnes and her first action as a president was to get rid of um the unity flag the indigenous unity flag that is called huipala the huipala it's it's a it's a seven color flag that represents the unity among indigenous indigenous nations in in south america it represents unity it represents you know the sacred knowledge nature the relationship with land it, there's so much power around the uh, the Huipala, and it's uh, and it's it, it was you know reclaimed by indigenous nations in in Latin America as a symbol of resilience, of unity, resurgence, um, resistance, right? And and Evo Morales being an indigenous an indigenous president and having uh, you know, cut poverty from, you know, from sixty percent, it went to thirty percent, uh, poverty rate in, in Bolivia. I mean, he did so many things for 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 all people. But of course that means that privilege to, you know, the the rich sector of that society who is usually white in every single country, who knows why, right? <laughs> what a coincidence. In every single country in Latin America, rich people are white. Who knows why?
0: Uh-huh. Uh,
1: I've heard right? that before. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh my God. So, anyways, these people, these rich people, are 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 angry that they're getting their privilege um, taken from them, and of course, they support the most racist, anti-Indigenous person they can select, which is this person. She gets, uh, she goes into the uh, National Palace, and she basically takes the, uh, the flag from, from the front of the palace. Like she, she, she puts, puts the flag away. And instead of the flag, she brings a giant Bible with her. Ugh, and, and states that we are back, right? That, that's, that's her statement. We are back. God is back in this, in this presidential uh, building. And, and we're here for good. So, you know, that symbolism of, of, uh, of a non-Indigenous person bringing the flag and, you know, taking the original um, symbols from, from the people, it's something that we know very well. Like Historically, it's been, it's been done before many, many times, and we know the results of that. Right? I wonder so, if
0: that would be why there's not 94 calls to action being implemented here in Canada.
1: Uh, hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I wonder why. On it. How is it related, right? <laughs> so, so, yeah, so she's pro North American. She is an evangelical person. She has a history of tweets, you know, 2014, 2016, 2019. She has a history of declaring, you know, uh, indigenous people as satanic. <laughs> she, she, um, she holds an evangelical Bible from North American, and, you know, um, religions or uh, uh, cults, right. And, and, and getting, you know, she, she, after she took over, after she took over control, uh, indigenous communities were burned to the ground. Uh, indigenous people were persecuted uh, protesters were, uh, rep- um, you know, repressed, and and I think she's she's proud of it. I think she said like we will never again. For example, there's an example that you know, uh, indigenous people in Bolivia have a celebration for the new year, and and on that date, she she tweeted something about that being like an evil, satanic, tradition that no good Christian would would celebrate so like inviting people to not celebrate that tradition and um so the symbolism around this um evangelical white uh and you know what she's not even white michelle and that's what bothers me the most because inter it, like internalized racism is such a disease in our countries always wanting to approach whiteness and to get closer to whiteness Yep. people want to get as close to whiteness as possible and and this decolonizing effort like evo's government was a decolonizing effort and as much as we can recognize mistakes in uh, hugo chavez uh government and and now nicolas maduro's government that there have been mistakes many mistakes that of course have to be analyzed and fixed but mm, a, a huge part of it is a decolonizing effort, an effort that Mexico is doing right now. Uh, and um, you know, there was a, a very powerful movement in Latin American nations for a long time, and you know, suddenly, magically, those governments were uh, were you know intervened by the U.S. or or you know by these factual powers so we really have to think what's the reason behind behind those coups? right it's not only it's not only bringing democracy it's getting rid of any decolonizing effort in those in those areas that are very rich in resources and in people
0: yeah it's more like uh never bringing democracy it's always bringing neoliberalism where you know indigenous people at the expense of indigenous people and uh using whatever slavery uh method possible in order to implement the neoliberalism and then that internalized racism i mean we see it i see it here you see it here um and yet people are still so oblivious to what internalized racism is and that i know it hurts it makes it it makes it worse and uh You know our conversation being attacked by our own people because they still don't want to walk their road of decolonizing Mm -hmm. to understand the gravity of what internalized racism is and you know every day i'm unpacking it and trying to find new ways to um you know undo my thinking on that and yet here i am trying to talk and raise awareness about what's happening in our latin communities because of the work that we are doing as you know not just canadians not just as Albertans, but as Calgarians. And nobody wants to have those uncomfortable conversations because nobody wants to talk about uh, resource extraction. I was just having a conversation with someone I love. And uh, he had the audacity to say, well, you know, Syncrude was there for the flood here in Fort McMurray. And uh, he wouldn't let me get a word in edgewise to talk about the displacement of all the Métis and all of the poisoning of the dene down the, down the river, right? Like there's, those conversations are still not happening here. Even with people that I love, I try so hard, but it's so difficult. So, um, yeah, I understand that pain of seeing that, uh, you know, people who should be on your side are actually the ones that are being the oppressor.
1: Exactly. And you know, when you talk about extractivism and, you know, energy production, I can't, I can't, you know, avoid. I can't help it to to think of uh, the massacre of forty three um, student teachers. I don't know if, if if maybe maybe some of you have heard about it in your podcast. Uh, but in in Guerrero, which is uh, it's in southern Mexico, there was a massacre a few years ago, and there were forty three students from a teacher training college, which is a which is a um, federal, um, I mean, uh, public school for teachers, right? So 43 students disappeared one night, uh, and they were disappeared by the state and no one knew where they went. Like no one knows where they are. Like, this is still a mystery. And we know that the state was involved. We know that some remains have been found, but they, there was always this, you know, no one understood why 43 students from a, teacher training college that that it like it's a teacher training college that's uh you know historically been very very you know active like politically active always attending protests always uh you know this was uh, in mexico we call it semillero which is like where where new activists are born or formed if you want to Right. Like this school is like a revolutionary school and there are hundreds of them in Mexico. They're called normal schools. It's a very old term for for uh, universities, for teachers. But anyways, there's a tradition of of fighting for dignity, for equality in this in these schools. And and every year they would take a bus and they would go to Mexico City to attend a protest um, to commemorate. Another massacre of students, where where almost five hundred students died in nineteen sixty eight. So they were getting ready for this, and they got on a bus, and, and and they started. You know, they're they're traveling, and they were intercepted by state police and they were disappeared like no one knew where they went and their parents have been looking for them for such a long time these are all you know uh students of indigenous uh descent they're all indigenous most of them speak an indigenous language uh and you know uh 43 students disappeared and you know this is an area of mining this is an area of mining this is an area where. Where there's uh, a very, you know, prominent, um, a prominent mining company that's called Canadian Torx Gold, right? So Canadian Torx Gold um, has it has been proved that they have, you know, uh, links with 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 drug trafficking in that area, and you know the Canadian the canadian uh, government immediately issued its alert to canadian tourists to avoid non-essential travel to that area right they acknowledged that um that that it was a difficult and it's a dangerous place to go uh but then the government of guerrero which is a province you know he said to the to the press and he said how could it be that canadian mining companies are investing many millions of dollars in guerrero and the canadian government issues an alert to warn Canadian sunbathers, right? Like, so there's this contradiction between like, it's good enough to exploit, right? Yeah. But it's not good enough to travel there to, to, to have your holiday there. So it's a still. Can I just interject
0: too? Yeah. Because I think we need to talk about the human trafficking that happens here in Canada to service the industry, the mm-hmm. extraction industry. And how convenient, All I would guarantee almost out of, out of all those 43 students, how many of them were female, and even if they weren't, how much of that is human trafficking? Because, yeah, as you said, the Canadian energy, um, you know, companies in total control of that area.
1: Exactly yeah they 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 literally own the, the communities right they pay no taxes, I think they pay one percent of their earnings in taxes, <laughs> and they extract all the those jerks. Mm-hmm. they extract all of the wealth from the yeah. communities, they pollute the water displaced families, and then they bring all the wealth here. So no wonder when I came here, I'm like, oh, so this is where the wealth is coming to. It's look at the roads, look, look at the infrastructure, look at all these companies that employ so many people with like $50 an hour, $60 an hour, where uh, where our people are are getting paid 50 cents an hour, yeah. right? Uh, $2 a day. Like that's how much that's how much uh, mining employees uh, get in in Canadian mining companies. So and and also, you know, human trafficking, you know, there are many cities in the world that are known to be like for sexual tourism. And we know that many Canadian white men come to our cities and, and rape our children and yet you know but they go there and they do it there and then they hide here (laughs) and and these are doctors these are you know public servants these are ceos like we don't know who they are they can be anywhere but what we know is that they come every year and they and they uh for like for a for a sexual tourism destination so that's another piece of it
0: yep no that's a huge part of it and i mean that's what they've been doing here to indigenous people and we have multiple reports and Such to prove it, and yet the average Canadian is still so pretending to care about pedophilia when they just, you know, my my uncle always says, for every finger pointing out, there's three pointing back. Exactly. And 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 honestly, if people like had a clue of what was happening here, but then of course they'd have to start um, acknowledging their racism. And you know, you're talking about um, basically slavery wages. But you know, then we have our temporary former, a uh, uh, temporary foreigner worker program here, and I know you are very active at talking about the um, lack of rights. That you know, it, it's not enough that we go over to other people's countries and exploit them, but now we're going to take some of those people and bring them here and not give them rights.
1: Yeah, we are our organization. Um, we've started. We started a couple years. Years ago, and we kind of wanted to start like as a migrant justice organization because we know there are other communities that are very organized, and we like we modeled ours after after another one that it's called Migrante, and it's uh, the Filipino community that are, they're super active uh, with Nelly and Jay. So we we modeled our organization after ours, but of course, when we started started getting to to know uh, you know our demographics, you know our who who are we going to serve so we we started digging into the uh, seasonal agricultural workers program and and so we we you know started getting more educated up around it and around the conditions of of all those people that come every year and we learned that every year around 30,000 uh, Mexicans come to Canada to grow the food that it's in on our tables the food the flowers, you know, the vegetables, fruits, flowers, honey, anything you can think of. Every single piece of produce that you see, it's uh, harvested uh, by Mexican workers. And there's another 30,000 people from Caribbean countries, from Jamaica, Trinidad, and many other Canadian nations. Um, so Canada employs around 60,000 people every year who come here and work 11, 12 hours a day, seven days a week um, with with um, on, in a minimum wage. They don't get paid extra time. Like the extra time is not a thing for them. Um, they get paid minimum wage for every single hour they work. Uh, most of these people, at least for, for Mexico, are of indigenous descent uh racialized or or indigenous 100 indigenous we've met many of them who speak indigenous languages whose uh, second language is spanish actually so they they face further marginalization as you can imagine so we started visiting um the farms and of course the first obstacle was being able to approach them because employers are extremely protective of, of them and not in a good way. They, they don't want any activist coming in and, and looking at how they're living and you know listening to their concerns. Uh, they are on contracts of eight months. So they come for six to eight months and then they go back home uh, and they have to fulfill certain requirements. So the one that, that calls my attention the most is they need to have children in, in order to apply for the program. Uh, Because that means that they're going back to them like that. That's the way the Canadian government, the Canadian government and the Mexican government make sure that they're going back because they have uh, ties to the country. Another requirement is they cannot have more education than grade nine. Uh, Right. So they are they are, you know, explicitly saying that that we 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 don't want them to get another job. Right? because it is, it will be very difficult for them to apply for another job with a grade nine education in Canada, right? Um, they're, they're paid minimum wage, they pay CPP, they pay their pension plan and don't have access to it. They pay for um, EI, like un- unemployment insurance, and they don't have access to it. So right now when we're all getting CRBs, well, if you're wondering where that's coming from, it's from all those migrant workers who pay lots of taxes. And, and that face like, a lot of difficulties paying taxes because it's in English, right? Like, I, I mean, it's difficult for us to file our taxes. Now imagine for someone that does not speak the language. Uh, they are forced to stay in the farms at least six days a week. There's one day a week where they can go out. And if they want to go out, it's for a few hours and they have to let the employer know. There's always a manager inside that's going to let them, um, you know, go out. Of course, there are.
0: Can I just interrupt (laughs) you for one second? Because my granny went to Indian residential school for 16 years, was only allowed to have a grade nine education. And the manager you're describing that, you know, dictates whether or not they can come and go and what permission that they have. That's very similar to the Indian agent and the past system that was instituted here with the Indigenous people.
1: That's extremely you know that's enraging, <laughs> that's enraging, so we 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 started visiting them, and we started, yeah, like it's the colonial mindset, right, so every structure like that's why we. That's why I get so upset when, when people feel that it's behind, like it's not behind, it's well and it's alive and it's exploiting it, like it's exploiting racialized people, indigenous, black and people of color here and, and it's where your foot comes from and we don't even acknowledge it, right? Well, and, and,
0: and they have the audacity to say it was yesterday, but I mean like today the RCMP just pulled over an indigenous um reporter, a single mom who's reporting on the Wet'suwet'en. to win. last week Calgary decided they're gonna expand their, you know, city limits. There's no care or or nothing about it. And and the, you know, expansion of energy resources without any profit sharing has continued since forever. You know, like that that is the reality. I mean, I I've been working on a project um talking about indigenous getting education, post-secondary education, most uh, Canadians really truly believe that it's all paid for and, You know, I I don't know an Indigenous person who doesn't have $30,000 worth of debt, but it's the bigger picture that, you know, not only did we have the barrier of Indian residential school, but now we have the barrier of overcoming all of the trauma that has been imposed on us for all of these years and expected to go through a new racist institution with a smile on our face when we have the Tom Flanagan's telling us we are lesser than just simply because we are Indigenous. And we can't access healthcare without it being racist. And we can't you know, access justice without it being racist. Everything is racist that we have to come across and yet people are so oblivious and they have the audacity to say, oh no, that was in the past, you guys need to get over it. It's an everyday reality for me and for any other person who identifies as mixed, people of color, black. Um, yeah, so I just, it, it, it makes me so angry people deny and say it's in the past when they are doing it not just here but they're doing it globally
1: exactly and it's it needs a mindset like the colonial mindset of possessing of owning people owning the land owning everything there has to be a property you know sign on everything including people's lives like like these people for example the workers like you know, they're here for eight months. Some of them have, have been coming for 15 years, 18 years, 20 years. Some of them have grandchildren. Like when you picture agricultural workers, you think, oh, these are young people in their 20s who are, you know, like summer job. No, these are these are grandparents, right? They've been coming for 15, 18 years and they have no pathway to citizenship. So they are away from, from their family eight months a year. So really, really, they live in Canada and they go, to Mexico for four months, right? And and they don't have a pathway to citizenship simply because of their origin, simply because they are part of these seasonal agricultural programs. So how is that not a racist policy? Uh-huh. How is that not a, a white supremacist policy, right? So when we, when we, you know, we, we talk to them, we listen to them. and And after a while, if we are able to you know, address this and like raise the political awareness and, you know, and, um, you know, we come together to the realization and they, and they are extremely aware of their situation. I think that's, that's the saddest part is that they know exactly why can't be residents. They, they, they've told us like. Of course they don't want us to be residents because then they will have to respect our rights. And then they will have to pay us like a decent wage. And and we're gonna, they don't want us to do anything else in Canada except grow their food. Um, So they're, like one of them told me, I'm, I'm, this is my last year, but next year my son is coming. So it's an unending circle of poverty and of marginalization that puts food on our tables. And I think it's time for, for Canadians to acknowledge it, for everyone, everyone to acknowledge it and to, you know, support the efforts for uh, a non-precarious status for them, like a pathway to citizenship, which, which is going to be our our main goal. So right now we are, you know, building bridges of solidarity. We are visiting them. We are, you know, they're becoming our friends, which is, you know, an amazing experience. We just started a pilot program for English as a second language. I am teaching English via, uh, via zoom. And it's, you know, it's an amazing, it's an amazing opportunity just to connect with them, to listen to them, to learn from them because they're really the experts of their, of their situation and of their oppressions, such as, um, you know this precarity, precarity in their immigration status. So you know we are really happy that we were able to land our objective as an organization, and I think that's what we're going to continue to just continue to visit farms and and you know have screenings of a of a documentary that's called the contract El Contrato. I invite everyone to watch that documentary. Uh, it's by a Korean. Uh, the female director, she's brilliant and it really brings light to the issue. And so we're going to continue to, you know, during 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 the season, we're going to continue to visit them, getting to know them, learn from them. And then off season, we're going to do this work of uh, raising awareness in among the Canadian public.
0: Excellent. So that link, um, if you send it to me, then I will share it with this podcast so that people know to look into it i mean honestly you can google this stuff but very clearly canadians even when you give them the links you give them the books you give them the pdf it's just too hard and overwhelming for them to possibly cover your hand so you know the sooner we can give them all of the information that's again once again spoon-fed to them yet they just simply have this cognitive <laughs> dissonance um <laughs> I'm just being a jerk because uh, <laughs> right now my uh, my Twitter is going a little nuts. Um, it's just some stupid kids from Lethbridge put together a stupid oh, yeah.
1: company <laughs> called White
0: <Life laughs> Privileged, and they're so dumb they actually don't even. They're like, I didn't grow up privileged, as they sit on Blackfoot territory. You know, with their guns, and, and, like, there's this rumor out there from from the folks down there that uh, all of the cops' kids have their own little, like, stupid gang that, where they shoot each other in the, well, whatever, they're just idiots. So.
1: Yeah, and rural Alberta, you know, I mean, you know it better than I do. Like, I've been just here for a couple of years, but you know, we after we we organized a rally here in Cochrane. It was great. We had a great turnout, and after the rally for Black Lives Matter and anti-racism, we started an at like a like a follow up effort. So we started an anti-racist anti-racism series, like educational series here in Cochrane, and we have the support of that. We have the support of the town of Cochrane. They've been amazing but um and i don't know if i'm allowed to say this they're probably going to cancel the series after i say this but (laughs) the thing is um i got a message from one of 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 the of the people of of the workers in uh, town of cochrane and they said that a resident of cochrane had sent a letter to mayor and council they were extremely offended that the word whiteness was in the poster. So what? they were asking <laughs> the town to cancel the series or get rid of the word whiteness in the poster. Because the poster says, like, we're going to educate you around whiteness, white privilege and race and, you know, all of those uh, basic, basic terms that everyone should understand. And then there's this guy, like, we, I later learned that it was a guy, basically carrying the conversation. Chad. His name Chad. Yeah. Yeah. Chad emailed or sent a letter and also they threatened to start a petition against the town of Cochrane if they didn't cancel the event. So Thank you for illustrating whiteness, right? I mean, you're so upset about the word whiteness, but you're here like giving us a living example of what weaponizing whiteness is. It's the first time ever that Cochrane, like the community sees an effort like this and you know, they're triggered, but I always think of, okay, so you guys are triggered because I'm talking about whiteness in rural Alberta, but where are my trigger warnings? Where are my trigger warnings for everything I experience here? Really
0: and truly. they—they First of all, we're speaking English because they forced us to. They named me Indian. You know, like, get over it. You know, you you just can't. Then they tell us to get over it.
1: (laughs) Exactly. It was, you know, it was, you know, sad and funny and, uh, you know, very concerning. But also like a living proof that we need to continue this work. And I was telling my husband, I was telling him, you know what? Like if they want to pull out, if town of Cochrane, they won't, they've been extremely supportive. They called me and they, you know, we had a great conversation. I think they're ready for a conversation, but I just say, you know what? Uh, The demographics in rural Alberta are changing. Like we are here. (laughs) We are not, you know, we're here. Our communities are growing uh you know people of of every race is coming to rural alberta and what you have is that is a time bomb if you don't address the racism in your communities it's a time bomb like there are going to be racial tensions and uh, unfortunately there's there's going to be a lot of problems with with racism if we don't address it right away so it's your choice that you want to deal with it in a proactive way by having this educational uh opportunities or you want to react once we have more issues because we're going to continue to push like we're not, we're not going to stop fighting for our own dignity for our humanity to be recognized like we have children so I'd much rather fight it myself than having my daughter face it during her life here in Cochrane so you're kind of just challenging us man like we're just going to keep going really with the anti-racism initiatives and work um, so yeah, that was one funny thing that happened this week that we, that we've been dealing with,
0: <laughs> uh, but, it, it, yeah. but and it's all the time. Like, you know, so we called out the racism of Lethbridge, but now I have some right wing like commentator trying to pretend that she knows anything other than where her nail polishes. And like, I, <laughs> it's, it's incredible to me that. You know, they're so threatened by the word white when all of these years they had not had just the word black or Indian put on us, but all sorts of wonderful derogatory uh, words that go along with it. And And the
1: names, right? Like they've, they've always, I don't know, when like now people are now so triggered about the use of the word Karen or like the name Karen to name like entitled white women. But they've been calling us Maria forever. Like Latino women have always been Maria. We have always been over-sexualized, hyper-sexualized. We've always been treated like pieces of meat. <laughs> and now you're offended because for 10 months we've called you Karen because we we, we are holding that power. Something else that happened to me <laughs> this morning and just as an extra is I'm part of a, you know, I'm in many different groups in Facebook. I'm very active in Facebook. So I was in a teacher group. Teacher memes, it's called. So I'm just there for the fun, right? But and I wasn't in the best mood this morning <laughs> when when someone posted uh, like a quiz of a, of a little boy or girl, I'm uh, not sure, that, that uh, a little human being that, you know, he was asked in a quiz, uh, how do you call like the obstacles, uh, obstacles for uh, people of color. So I don't know, I don't know what... What the context was. I think I think the first question was around segregation, the second was what was around you know other issues in civil rights movement. But the third question was around like well, how are the, that up, those obstacles called? And he answered white people. <laughs> so of course, you know we were all like laughing about it and teachers were commenting, but of course, you're gonna have those teachers, many teachers extremely offended that, you know, we're laughing about it. This is serious. This is reverse racism. This, who taught this boy or girl that? Like we need to address it. And they were so concerned. So I went on and I never do this. I don't like de- doing this to myself because I know I will spend two hours of my day responding to ignorant comments. Yep. But once in a while, especially when there are teachers, I it gets personal because then, you know, they are responsible for for little human beings, for me, tiny human beings, and someone has to call them out. So, like you know, I engaged in conversations and and realized that honestly, like many many uh, teachers in that at least in that thread were very like racially illiterate. I like to call them. They have no idea what they're talking about, but they sure have an opinion on race. Yeah. They have no idea what they're talking about, but they sure have an opinion a very strong opinion (laughs) and um so i think the last thing i i said was oh because i said like oh because one of them said like she had been a white girl uh in a in an all-black school and she had faced so much so much racism and how how can you laugh about that i'm like you might have experienced prejudice or discrimination You did not face racism because to face racism there, there has to be power involved and you have the power and you've always had the power and the minute you walked out of that school you have the power right so uh the last thing i said is you know what i know you are trying to gaslight us you are trying to bully us into not having an opinion you are you are you are laughing at us and you are saying that we are indoctrinated and that we are neo-Marxists and I don't know how much they, and we are Antifa or whatever they say. Uh, and, and that's all you guys trying to bully us. And we are not, we're not scared anymore. No. We, we are educated and, and we are, you know, getting our children prepared for a white supremacist world. So you have two options. You get educated And you face progress or you run and hide because your time's up. Like we are, we are uh, standing up for what we believe. We're speaking out. We're calling out your white fragility. We're calling out your racism and our children will call you out too. So as a teacher, you have the obligation to get educated or retire because there are, there's, there's no other option for you.
0: You know, and literally you just made the case why I have to homeschool because um, like you know, that, that's so much, there's so much freaking privilege that they don't un- understand that, you know, they're used to 99% of the kids being white. So it's perfectly okay to use white coding language that talks about white supremacy. But, you know, my daughter, although she may be, you know, blonde and blue eyed, she's not white. She's native. So when she hears the racism that comes out of white coding and white conversation and white supremacy, it hurts her. And then worse, because the teachers are so oblivious, like at the start of this last year, the CBE came out with a report saying, oh my God, we are so not having a bullying problem because we investigated ourselves and we didn't ask a single parent or a single uh, student, but we, the teachers, we know we are not bullying. Sounds and, like
1: the RCMP. Right? <laughs> exactly. The so
0: like my daughter was interviewed and spoke out because like literally she hears gay slurs in front of the GSA teacher and they're like, what gay slur? Who's saying things like that? And she's a woman. So they already have that internalized sexism. So they don't like acknowledge their own sexism in what they talk about and how they disregard the girls in their class. And I'm like, how can you be so dumb? And the worst part is, they think they're not just woke, but they're saving these kids from a gang life. They, a teacher actually said that to me. And I was like, you and your white saviorism, they were, they're not ready for a little girl who has like indigenous pride. They're not ready for that. They have this, you know, trauma porn stereotype that they have in their head and they can't think outside that box, because that's not what they've been taught. And, you know, the NHL team is playing. So I'm going to watch that instead of, you know, watching a documentary by an Indigenous person talking about racism in Canada, or talking about exploitation across the globe that are coming from Calgary. It's unbelievable to me that we have to keep talking about this. And, and there's just a small group of people that are willing to listen to it. It's unbelievable to me.
1: Yeah, we're struggling with numbers for these series in Cochrane. I'm like, you know what? If we get if we get ten people attending, that's something. Like we're we're doing something, and we're just like, for my at least for myself, you know, I I have to come to the realization that the work's never gonna be, we're never gonna finish, that we're gonna die, and there's still gonna be work to do. Yeah. So that's my you know motivation. My motivation every day is. You know go there and transform whatever you can transform. If it's your children you are focusing on, perfect. If you are raising healthy masculinities, if you have sons and you're raising healthy masculinities and that's your purpose in life, that's great. Yes. But something like we have to start somewhere. Right. So uh I am I am you know so happy to know that there are efforts being being made. Um I noticed that Uh, some Facebook groups. So if if any of your listeners are in rural Alberta, now there are groups that are, that are like, for example, Cochrane Progressives, Airdrie Progressives, uh, Strathmore Progressives. And, you know, there are several groups that now, you know, we're organizing, we're coming together, uh, especially with this horrible government that we have in Alberta, with this, you know, I don't, I have other words to describe it, but I'm not going to use them, <laughs> but this horrible, horrible government with this non-existent plan for, you know, going back to school. My daughter is staying home as well, you know, and that's the main reason it's I'm terrified of, uh, because, and that's another thing, like my subjectivity, like my, uh, my reality and many other people's reality is different like i had people die from this virus like i had two aunties die from this virus in mexico right um so it's real for for many of us it's real and and we are being told that we are paranoid and the way but it's just that's privilege talking when when they told us that we are paranoid it's like yeah you didn't know my auntie who was healthy and then who, who died from this so of course i'm going to be worried about my health and the health of my daughter and uh and you know all those examples of of privilege that that just sh- have shown up after covid and and we need to tackle <laughs> we need to you know face them and keep fighting to to address that mainly for our future generations so that they don't have to go through what we went through in our in our racist colonial patriarchal settler <laughs> country right that's canada
0: I I cannot believe I never thought in a million years, we'd have to be fighting freedom germs right now, mm-hmm. where you have all of this mindset of people who are like, you know, oh, I'm fine, never wear a mask anywhere they go. It is unbelievable to me, that type of privilege that people have to just think, oh, no, this is totally fine. But it's also because they know that if something were to happen to them they'd have a nice little white you know ambulance driver mm-hmm. happily take their nice little white uh, butts to the nice white hospital where they will get proper care exactly and and that's the difference too is that i know when i call the police when i call an ambulance i when i go to the hospital i'm not getting the same care they're getting mm-hmm. and that and that's the other part of this conversation of freedom germs that you know (laughs) so frustrating anyway i really appreciate you being on my show um just any last thoughts before we we close out
1: yeah just you know thank you thank you michelle for for having me and just you know i i always you know i'm always learning about indigenous resilience and indigenous history and all the wisdom and all the knowledge and i am just so honored to be a guest in this land. And I tried every day to, you know, do better uh, and and do better and honor uh, the Indigenous knowledge and Indigenous history and be a good guest, you know, just... Just leave this place better than than when I arrived. And you know, being a settler, um, being myself, being a settler of Latinx descent, I, I just when I attend to all these conversations of you know Black Lives Matter or or you know Indigenous uh, reconciliation and all these important issues, I always like I would always like to you know open the conversation to our brothers and sisters in the South. Because uh, there are so many issues that they're facing. Uh, there's repression. Their 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 lands are being stolen. Uh, they are also disappearing in great numbers, especially women. Uh, the violence, you know, that our countries have faced, you know, the human rights violations with the support of of colonial, imperialist countries. So I think if we come together and if we, you know, see this as a global issue, we will be stronger um, and we will be able to, to face adversity in a, in a better way. So I will just, you know, invite everyone to connect with or, or learn about the uh, colonial history of Latin America, uh, of Mexico and, you know, strengthen our links and, and, you know, be stronger together.
0: Yes. Um, I want to remind everybody that Mexico was still part of Turtle Island, and it's so funny to hear an indigenous woman t- tell an indigenous woman she's a settler because you know you're being displaced because of neoliberal capitalist policies originating literally from here. and that's the irony is that our ancestors would have never said you know no to anybody. worse we actually helped the very colonizers that ended up giving us you know the smallpox and all the other germ warfare because you know human beings caring about human beings so it's so hard for me to imagine what how hard it is to leave your ancestral lands and try to find a better place to be so I just hope you know with all of my heart from one you know indigenous sister to another indigenous sister talking about imperial colonialism originating from the very place that we're recording like the power in that
1: thank you michelle yeah we we you know uh the the indigenous people in latin america uh, call it abby yala. yala is the traditional name for for latin america mm. and we always try to address latin america's as yala because that honors honors our history honors our our Traditional knowledge, our traditional lands, and the original peoples in in there, and it also reminds us of the uh, history of colonization in in those territories. So, thank you, Michelle, and uh we're in this together. So let's just let's keep fighting. the 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 fight's not over, and I think there's a lot to do. So thank you, you know thank it. you for all your efforts with your podcast, and we'll continue to spread the word on on this fight.
0: Yes. Well, you know, um, I invite you to chime in as I go through the closing. I'm sure you've heard it a million times because you're one of my actual listeners and I'm so grateful to have you on my show. So if you want to chime in at any point in time, don't hesitate. Indigenous have been talking about these issues, sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, and public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honour our words, honour our treaties, listen to politicians and their policies and platforms they don't recognize the marginalized in their budget with gender equity plus if they're cutting violence prevention programs and services indigenous education uterus health choices gay straight alliance um and how should we put this as well let's add to this and and talk about um you know lack of uh human rights for immigrant status you know What what are your thoughts there vanessa
1: yeah i think yeah just uh, acknowledging that there's a there's a history of of colonialism for for all those migrants to be here it's not it's not their choice it's not our choice for sure mm-hmm. to come and speak a speak a different language to speak another colonizer's language because we have to speak spanish because it's the colonizer's language it's it's all we've got but now we come here and we also have to talk a second language of of, uh, also colon colonizers <laughs> so right. you know we are in this permanent loop of <laughs> of getting away from our history but you know totally uh addressing addressing the um oppression and marginalization that it's intentional mm-hmm. it's calculated yep. it's racialized it's gendered it's so many other <laughs> Uh, you know, it's so much. It's so much to unpack. You know, the 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 the, the immigration issues. Like immigration is not a cause. It's immigration. It's a result of of policies of racist, colonial, neoliberal policies. So the more we understand that, the more we'll be able to empathize with those who are here, and the more people will be educated not to say, "Go back to your country." I would if I could, except there's like a drug war because uh, U.S. people consume so much, so many drugs that <laughs> we pay the price with, 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 uh, with debt and with, you know, violence. And, and, and they put the dollars and we put the, we put the uh, you know, the, the, the debts. So I, I, I would go back if I could, except, you know, neocolonialism is a thing. And wow. we don't actually need to be invaded, like, by military to be controlled, by the U.S., right? So it's it's a form of neocolonialism. And, and it's a, right, we, we, we would go back, but we just can't because we are in a, in a neocolonial state. That's right.
0: <laughs> right? So folks need to know that that vote, that the power of their vote is, like, yeah. directly impacting you in this way. Um, demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to actions, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples. The multiple reports about child welfare reform, uh, violence prevention, and now 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls, to spirit Denying those reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational health justice institutions with multiple reports that say the same things. Demand change from election platforms and politicians If they don't understand colonialism, race, privilege, ableism, sexism, they literally have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties, all local politicians, community organizations, sports organizations. Really great article I said out loud in episode 62 is Truth Before Truth, How Non-Indigenous Canadians Become Allies. Google it. I want to do, um, you know, cultural safety so I, I, I kind of give you some do's and don'ts. So you got to look at this as, you know, first stage for marginalization. So you can take, you know, Vanessa's course, you can read books, like this information is out there. It, you have to do something when you see oppression. Having good intentions is not enough. Take action to make change, speak out against racism, oppression, ask questions for, with those with more understanding find allies, create a support system for yourself and help you advocate for more culturally safe approaches. Vanessa, um, I wanted to ask you if you're finding that the group you're working with is really, you know, trying to create that support system with some of those Facebook groups that you were talking about and referencing.
1: To be honest, um, a little bit, it's it's difficult to see outside, and I struggle with progressive circles because of that. There's so much around. We are against the UCP, and we are against conservative government. But as soon as you bring out, you know, these issues of of you know racialized oppression, it's it's difficult. And you know, there's the white fragility going on in many of the circles. So I'm really trying to you know bring more that conversation. Forward, uh, they have all good intentions, and I'm I'm very happy that these groups exist. But with they, I think they need to be exposed to, to these issues a little bit more. Yes, we're not exactly. kind of like in a bubble. Progressive movements are like in a bubble. So, um, you know, we, we we have a Facebook page. It's called Asociación de Mexicanos in Calgary. So it's Association of Mexicans in Calgary. We have a we have a a, a Facebook page and. You know, we're working together with migrantes. So if you can look up Migrante, Migrante has been a great supporter of these struggles. Uh, they are anti-imperialist, anti-colonialist. Uh, they, the Philippines has a very similar history to, to Mexican history in colonization and neoliberalism. So which we, we share so much that uh, we work together with them. So if you can support Migrante, you are supporting us as well because we are partnered organizations. Amazing. Thank you. Uh, Take
0: responsibility for your own learning. Read, reflect, ask questions. Vanessa's literally spoon-feeding you resources here. Don't always expect this learning to come from Indigenous people because likely we've already put it out there and all you've got to do is Google it. Take time for self-reflection. Be aware of your own assumptions and biases. Question everything you've learned about Indigenous people and take steps to actively disrupt the stereotypes. So I'm just going to go over that one more time. Be aware of your own assumptions and biases. I don't know why it takes a white male in order for you to hear it. But if I say it, Vanessa says it, it, and you still don't hear it, but a white male says it, this is your bias that's being exposed. And you need to take time for that self-reflection. And you need to question yourself. Why it is you cannot hear it from me. Why it is you cannot hear it from Vanessa. But as soon as Mr. White Male says it, you suddenly can hear it. That is your bias. Commit to lifelong learning. Be prepared to be uncomfortable. Understanding colonialism and the legacy of racism is an ongoing and difficult task. So this is more for Karen. This is for Chad. You are going to be uncomfortable unlearning all of the comforts that you have taken for granted and at the expense of other Indigenous lives. So if you're wondering what I just said, that is what is Indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it at heretohelp.bc.ca. They uh, were the ones who listed it. Internalized racism, uh, lateral violence. Vanessa and I spoke a little bit about it, but there's so much information out there on it. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's when... You know, I, as an Indigenous person, pretend I am just Canadian. And I am a great Canadian. And we should just do what our Prime Minister says always without ever questioning him because good Canadians don't question their Prime Minister. That would be internalized racism. I'm a Liberal. I literally am part of Team Trudeau. I'm telling you, internalized racism is a thing I see everywhere across Canada. So if you are unapologetically, you know, (laughs) with Dean Trudeau, that's problematic. Even within conservative circles, they question their own um, leader and and question some of the decisions that they made. You know, there's nothing wrong with, um, you know, talking about what lateral violence internalized racism is. But I am not a Canadian. I'm a Dene woman. And I'm trying to work with the Canadian government because that is the treaty obligation my ancestors signed to. Um, So anyway, internalized racism, lateral violence is another form of violence Indigenous and marginalized folks uh, experience by the structure of racism imposed on these lands. So that's why there is no such thing as reverse uh, racism, Karen or Chad. Uh, equitytools.org by Donna Bevins. There's some more information about internalized racism. The American Friends Service Committee has doing and uh, don'ts for bystander intervention when you see um, harassment against people who are in some way oppressed. Um, and I'm just going to go over the don't call the police part because I know what you may experience from the police is not necessarily what I'm going to experience from the police. And for many communities right now, Arab, Muslim, black, queer, trans, immigrants, the police can actually cause a greater danger for the person being harassed. Don't escalate the situation. The goal is to get the person to safety, not incite further violence from the attacker. And don't do nothing because your silence is dangerous. It approve, it communicates approval and leaves the victim high and dry. So if you find yourself too nervous or afraid to speak out, move closer to that person and I always encourage people to give someone their card because it validates it and then later if they choose to speak out against it at least they have you as a witness teach your kids about accountability in a positive way because people are learning it from somewhere and we know that the kids from uh you know white and privileged down in Lesbridge sure are learning it from somewhere so if you're experiencing emotional distress and want to talk you can call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Um, wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It is tool-free, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Violence is just my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I started this podcast, to speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear about racism or hear an Indigenous opinion but sure want to tell us theirs. Usually by people who know nothing about racism or indigenous or know nothing about colonialism. They don't know anything about the constant surveillance of indigenous people, our protests, our vigils and our rights. They just call the cops. It's typical microaggressions um, and people dealing with internalized racism, people who are gatekeepers, survive off the status quo or people who are still in their trauma and they stop people from doing the work and deplete personal resources. Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for people of color, for indigenous, for black people, for mixed people. And that's why I needed this podcast as a boundary, just to be heard. So I want to say thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom of what strength looks like through your example. I want to say thank you to my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt. My stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family and roots, and stepping up and teaching me how to be a proud Calgarian. It is through her I'm a second-generation proud Calgarian. Thank you to my husband, Darcy, for producing and editing this show. On top of being my husband, my childhood friend, father of our child, and my support on down the Red Road, he has witnessed decades of racism and sexism. And to our child, who we are blessed to learn from daily, we are honoured you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. I hope my daughter and my family will be proud in the future of me trying to discuss these present-day racial issues in a way that they'll understand down the road. Again, my Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you, Adam, Alexandria, Beatrice, Ben, Beth, Brian, Kat, Celine, Christina, Crystal, Diana, Jana, Jenny, Jocelyn, Judy, Karen... Kathy, Kenna, Leah, Lisey, Marisa, Melissa, Morimi, Natalie, Nathan, Rebecca, The Sprawl, Shara, Sharon, Tammy, Tiffany, Vanessa, and Veronica. Thank you all for signing up. And in Vanessa's case, thank you for being on my show. And if you did one donation or many and had to quit for financial reasons, please know I appreciate your support. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. To those that cannot afford to give but listen in, love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or questions. I also have a YouTube channel and I'd love to have you subscribe for podcasts. We applied on Spotify. We are on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. And I want to end with that side eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not your dish. My beautiful cousin would respond, or you'd be in my dish. (laughs) Vanessa, thank you for being on my show.
1: Thank you, Michelle. Sending love.
0: Always.